everybody. Welcome to episode 192 of the Movie Schmovie podcast. I'm John. I'm Ron. And I'm Steve. And tonight we're going to do, I guess this is kind of like a catch-up. Bless, Bless you. you. Thank you. This is kind of like a catch-up, uh, but it's also just a little bit of a grab bag because uh, we're talking about the Maryland Film Festival and we're talking about Ridley Scott's new film, Alien Covenant. Mm. And uh, two of us made it to the Maryland Film Festival to see some films this year. <laughs> and one of them for the second year in a row. What? For the second year in a row, didn't get to see... You well, didn't go I... to anything last year? I think you went to a couple things. I went to like one with you guys. or the, like I, went, I saw the one with the, the Disney one. Oh, yeah, Life Animated. Yeah, and, and you I saw, saw like the other one, one the, uh, the Middle Eastern horror film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was it. In the shadow, under yeah. the shadows. Yeah, with us. That... That was man. That was it. That was you didn't it. see anything this year. Maybe no. it was the year before that you wow. saw some ridiculous amount. Yeah, I saw I saw uh, close to 40, <laughs> 40. like 40, 40. 40, 44 movies. So you're either all in or like, <laughs> wait a festival. minute. How is that mathematically possible? In four days, I took all. He, of, he multiplies himself. No, I took the days. I took. The, but I mean, I don't even know that there are ten screenings that are subsequent that you can oh, go to. I counted some of the shorts. Oh, okay. but no, no, no. I saw so like one idiot. short series of, of <laughs> no, but of I, ten shorts. No, no, no. But I saw, I saw, I, I sat down through uh, a bunch of movies. Mm-hmm. That was year you bought the forty four. Yeah, forty four that I counted. But if you count shorts, then but they yeah. were like extended ones. That they were might like be the a half, record. You they should, were like you the should. half an hour ones though too. So I saw, I saw a bunch of movies. I definitely saw over twenty films. Like I sat through. So that was the year you had the all access pass. Though. Yes, I took off a week. Yeah. And I. That's right. I forgot that you actually took a. Couple I days devoted off. a lot of time to that. Mm-hmm. I know that I, I sat through a great deal of those. Well, what does it say that you haven't done that since? <sighs> Weird, man. Like always around this time, there's like a bunch of things going on. Like mm-hmm. this was not like something that I really did not want to do. Like um, I had some family issues, and I just kind of got exhausted. My mom had some major surgery, and mm-hmm. I've been kind of. I it fucked it fucking it kind of came to a head. Sometimes was, like tagging yourself out is like the best thing you yeah, can do. Yeah, like last year was Crohn's. This mm-hmm. year was my mom's surgery. Mm-hmm. I was just like, fuck it, man. It's cursed. Yes, yeah, like forget it. What was funny to us about it, I think, was that when we got our vouchers, you were like, hey, if you're not going to use those, give them to right. me. <laughs> and then I don't see anything. Like, Yo, how many vouchers you got? You going to use them all? I'll take them. I got I you. I was so pissed, man. It just everything fucking kind of came down on my head. I was just like, I'm done. It I was happens, exhausted, mm-hmm. but yeah. And then you guys saw some. What, what movies did you? Well, guys Steve see? saw a couple things, and I actually was able to use all five vouchers. But really? it's because I kind of made myself. The, the I'm, there was one day where I just sort of said, "I'm going to get down there and I'm going to stay yeah. down there." And I was actually a little bit. It's always good that the festival's doing well, mm-hmm. but I was annoyed. I got down there on Saturday morning, and all of the screenings I wanted to see for the day, they had already sold all the tickets that they had Jesus. released already. So they were on standby, which meant for every screening that I wanted to see, I had to go to the theater and get there in advance and wait in line to find out if I could even get in. I actually saw everything I wanted to see. So it, the math, it somehow worked right, out that I saw everything, out. but it was stressful. It's like it didn't have that pleasure of yeah. I've got the ticket in my pocket and I know I can walk in the door at 9.10. It was like, oh, no, I got to try to get there at 810 and hope there's not already 50 people there you know how was the experience this year in comparison because everything is a little closer i will say to people that are listening that aren't aware of the maryland film festival this was the first year that they opened up the parkway 
Theater, which is a new permanent home for the Maryland Film Festival, and it is a it's going to be a, a you know a, an ongoing year round screening room for either films that have been in the festival in the past or festival level films going forward. So it's a pretty nice experience. You know, I looked at the schedule. I tried to schedule it so that I could stick around that one location. There mm-hmm. just weren't enough subsequent screenings that I needed to see there. But as far as the hub itself, having that new place, I think it's going to make a big difference. We probably have mentioned on this podcast the last few years that as as rewarding as it is to go to the festival, it has this kind of scattered yeah. feeling. And this time I had much more of a sense of, oh, if I just go to this general area and park, I can walk to everything. Okay. But part of that is my growing comfort with the scattered nature of the screening rooms that yeah. they use. It doesn't. It's not just the fact that they have the parkway. So, but it was nice. What did you think of the parkway, Steve? I only saw one film there, but mm-hmm. I mean, the in the big house. I mean, mm-hmm. it's definitely. Really impressive. Yeah. How many theaters be, are there? Three. I'd be oh, curious wow. to see what the other one, but apparently the two and three are like really small. I don't know how many seats there are, but mm. they're relatively small. But um, it's I really, heard that they're sort of like home theater sized. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's nice, man. I'm really anxious to see what kind of programming they do. Uh, you know, it, it's when this podcast comes out, it'll have been open for like a week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really going to be interesting to see what they program there because like the film festival has. A big hand in in the in the kind of like feeding films and talent into this uh, new venue. So um, I know that I saw on one of their schedules that I don't know if you, you saw last year Donald cried, which played at the festival, which yeah, I thought was really good. That's playing at the Parkway now as like a part of its week run or oh, wow. whatever. So it'd be cool to see what they actually bring back in terms of you know smaller films that maybe don't get the distribution like into a physical theater you know even if they're currently on vod or whatever it might have been like uh festival alumni or just other just up and coming things like they don't have a distributor that can get them into the charles or the landmark or the senator or wherever you know they could find a home here in baltimore but it might be cool for some of these smaller movies depending you know how much they cultivate this parkway programming some of these movies that never open in baltimore that we talk about on this podcast sometimes It might be cool to see because, I mean, they have really great relationships with filmmakers and a lot of filmmakers that I either have talked to myself or by way of somebody that knows them hold the festival in a really high regard. So, I mean, I think that they have a great relationship with filmmakers that, you know, might bring some really cool movies to Baltimore um, that otherwise would never probably be seen here. Like, how does that work? Does that if a film gets distribution, it's likely to go to. One of the other, the like Charles. the Charles, which is our other art house theater, yeah. or the Senator, which has a room or two that usually goes to a uh-huh. small film. Mm-hmm. Even some of our larger chain theaters will sometimes have a room that, or a, a movie that makes it there that's a little bit more of the art house type yep. of thing. So what type of film can even play at the Parkway? Does it mean a film that doesn't have mass distribution could play there? Or, or revivals? It, it, or it, what can well, Definitely play revivals. There? I would say, and in general, again, like not to be 100%, but in a general sense... Films that don't have distribution through a company or distributor that has pre-existing relationships with the Charles. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they basically would block them from being able to open it. Literally, it's a block up the street, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, if we're, for whatever reason, like a, like an A24 or like a Sony Classic or whatever it might be, who relative, you know, uh, pretty frequently open their films at the Charles, you know, if it's a smaller one. Like, it'd be very unlikely that they would play at the Parkway. Right. Um, so, but, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. I mean, like, I guess in terms of this, the, the awareness of the movie going into it, mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to cultivate at the Parkway is to program films that people that are 
coming to the festival want to see anyway, but be able to give them an option to see them year round, mm -hmm. you know, or people that belong to the friends of the festival or students from Micah or from Hopkins or from really any school around here that have, has a film program. I think, you know, you kind of get to a level where a film gets a distribu distribution deal where if it's going to open, it will open at the Charles mm -hmm. or, you know, yeah. or not at all. I think, you know, cause it will be blocked. You know, once it's open or if it's done its theatrical run, there's no reason why it wouldn't come back, you know, like if mm -hmm. it's a revival or they just want to open a screening series where they're showing, you know, whatever, you know, like Donald Cry. I don't I know that last year when I did the Q&A or when I was at the Q&A with the filmmaker, they had a they had a dis distributor. They was all VOD. I think they got a small theatrical run. But now a year later, you know, they're doing a programming where they're letting it show at the Parkway, mm -hmm. you know, like so I don't know how that all works out. But that's an example of something where. A lot of the filmmakers at the level of stuff that show at the festival, I mean, there's definitely outliers. Mm -hmm. They're going the route of distribution that's putting them right into the video on demand channel. So that would never really compete with the Charles, you know, like, so that would give the Parkway an option to open a film like that, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, which is really interesting because, you know, we talk about Joe Swanberg a lot and his most recent film was on Netflix. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, come to the festival so much and he's like a regular. And I listened to a podcast that he and Jake Johnson were on basically just saying, like, at this point, he is completely comfortable knowing that the model for him and the kind of movies he's making is the kind of video on demand, Netflix stream, whatever it whatever mm -hmm. it is. Oh, wow. Yeah, we actually talked about that on our it's, kind it's of what, Netflix Right, and, and it's what works recently. for him, you know, because the interesting idea of, like, you know, putting a movie in a the theater just to say you have a movie in a the theater – like the audience that seeks his films out is this is how he explains it, you know the audience that's going to seek his film out or you know his his followers or his supporters or whatever, he thinks they're generally not people that get going to the theater. You know mm -hmm. they're not going to go see it in a theater that's forty five minutes away. Like if we had to go to D.C. to see it, yeah. or one, you know whatever. So that is the opening for Parkway mm -hmm. is films that are doing that films that are going VOD right. a lot of films like few that I saw at the festival this year I read got picked up and got distribution that are straight up just VOD mm -hmm. so it'd be no shock to see these come back and play at the Parkway oh. with no interference from films um, from theaters like the Charles because their interest is in the bigger distributor the bigger indie distributors yeah. you know Wow. Which it's it's kind of cool. I mean, that and cool. that's where the benefit of this this fostered like relationship that the festival has with these filmmakers because they're amazing at it. Mm -hmm. When I worked for the agency in Baltimore years ago, like we did a lot with the festival every year. We actually did their marketing, and they are incredible with their filmmakers. Like they take care of them. Like when they're in town with their film, they make sure that they do see Baltimore. Mm -hmm. They send them the Orioles games. They send them to museums, to the harbor, to the aquarium. They want them to feel this city. And I don't think you do that from what I've heard at a lot right, of festivals. Right. It's like a it's huh. like a it's a bubble that you're in. Mm. So it, I'm really curious what it does. I mean, I would love to come down and see more movies at that theater. You Me know, too. especially things of if they are programming interesting things, this would be a little foray or a little uh, transition into one of my something I'm wondering if I am like losing interest in the festival. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I love going to the festival and like mm -hmm. I always make time to go see a few things but right. like this year and even last year to a certain degree I kind of felt like I'm losing interest in the programming mm -hmm. oh. like I, I don't know that right. like the the selections are like and this is just completely selfish but like going towards the kinds of stories that I like would like to watch in film mm -hmm. you know I'm... whether it's subject matter right. or 
scale or genre or, or whatever it is. Because the last few years, I've seen some movies that, like, I really wanted to be excited for. And, like, just wasn't impressed by it at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it just didn't... I only really saw one and a half movies this year that I that I liked. And I saw four films. Yeah. And that's kind of weird because, like, it, it makes me wonder, like... And a lot of people that I saw at the festival, like friends and people that I just know through the, the, the movie scene in Baltimore, like, no one was, like, going nuts over a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? There were ones that had a lot of buzz, per se, like Rat Film or, you know, whatever. Um, like, Princess Sid had their, their, their actual debut for that was at the festival this year. So that was, like, one people were talking about. But I don't really, like, I don't know if you had a different experience, but, like, really hearing people, like, saying like oh this was incredible like this was so good i really admired a couple of the films that i saw but i didn't have that sense of oh my god this film is just incredible and everyone's talking about it that i have had in years past even though a lot of times those films don't end up impressing me or the movie that i'm most impressed with is not one that's getting a lot of buzz or it doesn't always match up with my taste sure but i do think this year there wasn't much of a sense of what was coming and what people were excited to see I felt like the biggest hype was around the Parkway totally opening. Totally agree. And Absolutely. that's all I kind of knew going into it. Now, mm. in the days before, I noticed a few people starting to recommend things. And I have a few friends that are involved in the programming, and they were able to tip me off to a few things. But, you know, I still would say, and I, it's a good time to just go ahead and talk about the movies we saw, that of the things I saw, the ones that I liked best, it took me a while to sort of figure out which one I liked best because nothing just completely flabbergasted me you know and i don't know if that's going to happen or not i don't know i mean in years in years past like i've had film festival experiences there where i was like really i felt special to be there and to see that movie or whatever whatever those films were um but yeah i don't know like whether it was like just an amazing q a or just like a really great audience experience or just like and I mean, admittedly, a lot of these experiences I'm referring to were happening when the Charles was still the theater that they yeah. used to screen their films at. Because I, we always, you know, even though you alluded to it earlier, like it's like that community sense of like this is the spot they be, you know. But like I, I know I've seen films in the past at the festival where I, I genuinely just I did feel special that I saw that movie. Yeah. So far ahead of other people, or like just the fact that I got to experience it at a festival called the Maryland Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I genuinely don't know that I felt that way in like in a few years. I mean, and and honestly, the last few times that I, I really enjoyed something there, a couple of them were Joe Swanberg movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there really hasn't been something at the festival that really just wowed me. I usually have like a really great story about a great doc. Like Life Animates, probably the more recent one that I can think of mm-hmm. that I thought was great. Mm. And that was a great Q&A. The family was there. I mean, it was really a special screening. And that's probably one of the more recent ones. So that mm-hmm. was last mm-hmm. year. But, I mean, at least two, three years prior to that, I think uh, Who Took Johnny? No, I was going to say, that, that was a, that's the one. That was that, one where the Q&A, too, really added to your feelings about yeah. the, the story and Those stuff. two were the ones in the last five years that I think of were like, I really liked the movie. I really felt like, holy shit, I saw something special because I saw this here. Mm-hmm. But the movies, I don't know. The movies I saw this year, you know, like I said, I liked a couple of them. But overall, I was like really just kind of bummed out. Well, what were some of the things you saw this so year? So I saw um, I saw Little Hours, which mm-hmm. is actually a really impressive cast. It's uh, Dave Franco, Allison Brie, uh, Kate McCucci, um, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, Aubrey Plaza. I mean, just a huge cast, and it's and it's directed by Jeff Bana, and he was there for the Q and A, and it was okay, but. 
I don't know. It, it's it's I, I'm not super versed in like the time period that this takes place, but I think it's like a take on the Decameron. Mm-hmm. Um, so it takes place at like a monastery or mm. like, uh, and Dave Franco's character is kind of on the run, and they take him in, but like not knowing that he's kind of on the run because. He was like a servant and ended up sleeping with the, the 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 master's wife or something, which is played by Nick Offerman, another great cast member. But I don't know it's it's it was funny. I I did like it. I, I didn't really feel anything special with it. It felt kind of one note to me, mm-hmm. and I didn't necessarily find it funny. Like you know, no. I feel like the audience was laughing a lot at it. But I don't know if that's just that like we got to go in and laugh at this because we know the director's here. Like, yeah. I always feel that sometimes. Like when he's sitting right there next to you, um, but for such a great cast, and um, I think things are gonna start happening in the next couple of years for Dave Franco. Like, I wonder what this, what kind of life this movie has, because like there's a release plan for this. Like, there's trailers out for it. I don't. It comes out I think sometime in July or August. Um, but I can't see an audience connecting with this movie because of the period it takes place in. Mm. Even outside of the trailer, having lots of like little zingers with like huge, like pretty relatively huge names in modern comedy that you yeah. see in TV shows or movies. But I, the the one thing I'll say is like it, it, it I didn't find myself laughing a lot, which is not oh, a good thing when you have all that comedic talent in a movie. So you um, didn't laugh nonstop like the uh, woman behind me at the German silent film that I went to go see at the festival? It doesn't sound like it. No, <laughs> no, no. That did not happen. No, I saw Variety by, um, what's his name? E.A. DuPont, which is a, a silent film from 1925 that had a live score played oh, by mm. by the Alloy Orchestra, which I think they've done this yep. events at the festival in the past. Yep. It's really neat. Uh, the only complaint I would have about that, they were excellent musicians, was that so many of the sounds, there was a keyboardist there, and so many of the like strings or piano, like the, it, it just was apparent to me, boy, this would be really cool if those were real cellists or something. Oh, but as far as it being a trio and the sounds they created and the melodies they would, you know, the, just like a score to any film, like with themes that repeat, and you can kind of tell this is like a more intense or ominous version of the theme, and right. songs would come back in and characters would have certain themes. It was really cool, and it really did, the movie felt a little long. I mean, I was amazed at how watchable a silent film could be that you it doesn't take you long really watching any film to sort of get into the rules of watching that film do you know what i mean like if a movie's got something that is like oh this movie is backwards or this movie's in a made-up language or this movie is silent like something that takes it away from what you normally would think would make it easy to watch and we're so used to dialogue and we're not Mm. used to what the silent film tradition is but the way they told stories was just different then there was a lot of dialogue that doesn't show up on the screen and there'll be a back and forth that you see, and then you'll see the little bit of text that comes up. It's always like, this is the bit of dialogue that you couldn't infer yeah. from watching them go back and forth. So there is a, like an art and a craft to, to like where the dialogue is and what the actors are doing, and you just kind of get sucked into it, and you totally feel like, okay, I'm like someone 100 years ago, in the sense that this is a story, and it's unfolding in front of me, and it's being told. It's really kind of neat to, to, to kind of dial back to something, a style, mm. that seems left in the past like that. Um, uh, and so I guess my whole point is just it was surprisingly watchable, but not as hilarious as the woman sitting behind me apparently thought everything that was like supposed to be a little bit funny, you know, it was hilarious. she just was 
and I had to think, okay, this woman is from another time. Like maybe oh, she's yeah. actually like a time traveler or she's doing that super demonstrative sort of laughter that people do sometimes at indie films yeah. where they're they're really trying to show you how smart they are. But I really enjoyed that experience. That was one I that, worry uh, about that laugh. Yeah. Me too, man. That that laugh that you just described. Like that a, bothers me a lot. Yeah, I do too. A mental I mean, imbalance that I think it, I don't know, man. I, I, I it makes me really uncomfortable. There's like a like the movie that you said you saw, like the period piece. Yeah. There's something about you know people probably did think it was really funny. There's something about vulgarity amongst that amongst that that yeah. people find very very funny, man. I got I don't quite understand it, right. but there's something really sharp about people are like this is funny. These people are in a place where they're not supposed to be vulgar mm-hmm. and they're very vulgar. I get, I and get it's that. funny. I get it's, that. A, it's like it's like a banana peel thing. Like it's it's just it, I I just find like that demonstrative piece that he's talking about, like where I don't know, where it's almost like they're they're aware of another level of comedy that yeah. like, I'm not uh, yeah. I'm not on the same frequency. Or like mm-hmm. I'm not pick I'm not cool enough to pick up that right. frequency. Which is weird because, and it just makes me feel weird in a, in a screening like that. It was <laughs> like that about that wine tasting movie that came out a couple years ago that was like up for a bunch of awards. Oh, oh, Sideways. God. Sideways, man. I knew people that saw that movie and were fucking people rolling over watching that movie. And I thought that it had some really funny parts. But I thought like, it was a good movie, but it's not like no. like uproarious. People are like, like it was like slapstick comedy laughing. Right. It was. So what else did you see, Steve? Uh, I also saw Thirst Street, which uh, this is the kind of movie that makes me like question whether I like really am a fan of like film, <laughs> and I, and I, and I say that to say like I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but this is this is kind of like getting at like the program. Sounds like that's what you're saying. No, no, no. I, let me dial it back here. Back. I'm so, not saying like question whether I liked the confidence of that statement. No, no, no. It's like it makes me wonder like whether I really know like every facet of film that people are. are attracted right, to I got you. like it draws a lot from like uh, in reading more about it after the fact like this 70s era like French like kind of erotic noir mm. film genre which I'm not aware of I don't really seek out I don't know that I've seen a lot of films that fit into that that niche mm-hmm. but it's apparently like really calls back to all that stuff it's basically about this flight attendant who um, loses her significant other and in in these flights to paris like basically falls in love with this horrible guy and falls in love with him and moves to paris and it becomes this kind of like neurotic tale of like her becoming more and more delusional about their relationship and like kind of how she goes off the hinge about it Mm -hmm. and um i I don't know man i just it's just i couldn't i couldn't connect to the character to the story even to like the look of it, I almost I'm, and this is not to meant this to say anything besides general curiosity. It's like I almost feel like maybe you'll like it, <laughs> and that's like that's not a cut on you at all. Yeah. But I think you're way more aware of like maybe that type of film, you know, mm-hmm. or like not to say that it reminded me of the Love Witch, right. but like there's something about like the time that it takes place in, mm-hmm. and like or not not necessarily takes place in, but the time it's kind of paying homage to or something right. you know like and this like style of filmmaking and just the, the the cinematography and the colors and just the way it looks it just felt like maybe something you'd be more aware of and mm-hmm. like you'd maybe would get it more than i do mm-hmm. and that's what i mean when i say like it makes me question whether i really understand like different <laughs> facets of film yeah. it, it's like it's like a gen it's like a i'm being genuinely yeah, like yeah, I get self it. 
like hating at this moment because mm-hmm. like it makes me like because like people talk about that like and they and they describe this movie like in their programming guide and like they reference all these filmmakers that I have no clue who they yeah. are yeah so I feel like I'm just like miss that whole thing mm-hmm. he's the only reason why I think that you're not in the wrong for saying that because whenever I hear people talk about movie movie types that you need to see it's like French New Wave that's yeah, the like one that, of people like, like that kind you of thing. must see that there's like that's three, what four people that's that like people that, that's what I'm off. referencing mm-hmm. yeah and and I think that I I've heard that some of this current season of um uh Master of None uh references oh, some of that right, stuff right right but um yeah I, I hear. I don't it know. A lot. I, it's like I'm I'm completely cutting myself. No, not, I get not it. the film. I get it because the totally film, I, from what I've been able to gather, it's gotten pretty good reviews. Mm. But like, I don't know, just like the filmmaking, the perspective, the the narrative itself, like it just I I wasn't able to like connect with it, and yeah. it seemed a little too, just like kind of mean mm-hmm. to really any of the characters really to really like kind of get me into the story yeah that can be a real so yeah i just had a lot i actually had trouble like getting through it (laughs) so and again like it's not to cut the quality i'm being genuinely like self-critical like i i that's the kind of movie i watch i tried to challenge myself and like i don't really know much about this type of film right and then i do and i'm i'm watching and like i Maybe I don't know it because like I don't I can't get through it. Not getting it and not liking it are still two different things. You mm. know what I mean? That you that if you don't like it because you don't get it, that's not just on you. Right. And okay. and and I think sometimes indie films they do have a sort of, especially film festival films where they have not been distributed. There hasn't. There's no one that has decided. Oh, we can market this film to people. Right. So there is something very experimental about them often. And sometimes they they aren't very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And I think this weird idea that it's supposed to be a bit punishing or it's supposed to be a bit difficult to watch is I really I really don't like that aspect and of of independent film or yeah. art films. Yeah. Like I understand something's being difficult or kind of punishing is part of what they're trying to right. do. But I I personally. Despite the fact that maybe you're right, maybe I am a little more forgiving than you are of like what the filmmaker's intention was right. and that this is an artistic intention that's not supposed to please you or whatever. But even then, I still believe that you should be entertained. And really, all yeah. the movies that I saw were entertaining. I saw um, uh, a movie called Silvio that was about a gorilla. The plot description is when a small town gorilla joins a local TV program, <laughs> some on-air mishaps threaten to shatter his identity, sending him on an adventure of self-discovery where reality and fantasy start to blend. Really? And it's basically a guy in a cheap gorilla mask with sunglasses and like usually wearing like a shirt and like a blazer over it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I don't want to go too much into the story because it is a very simple thing. I thought this was a kind of charming movie. It's very sweet and very bizarre. And um, really the character of the gorilla, you know, he doesn't speak. There's a couple points in the movie where he goes like, but the rest of the time he's completely (laughs) silent. So he's silent, but he's in a world of people that are reacting to him Mm. as just a gorilla. But no one's like saying, oh my God, there's a gorilla. You're you're going like, I guess I am halfway into this movie and it's not bothering me yet that it's so slight and it's so, it could like blow away on the breeze. It was a little bit more of a downer than some people were expecting because apparently it's based on a series of vines that were done with this gorilla that were like very silly and very funny and went viral. And so when they made the movie, a lot of people were expecting it to be wall-to-wall humor, but it's actually got some kind of pathos and a little bit of a downer kind of vibe to it. So yeah, Silvio. And then I saw a movie, probably my least favorite movie that I saw was a documentary called Intent to Destroy. And that's not to say that I disliked this film. It just didn't feel... As a film, it felt much more like a bonus material on a DVD. Oh, wow. Well, it tracks the filming of that movie, The Promise. 
Oh, right, right, right. With Oscar Isaac and Christian Bale, Bale. which tells the story of the Armenian genocide from, you know, 1915 or the early 1900s. And so this movie is both a documentary about the cover-up and about the denial on the part of the the government in in current Turkey, present-day Turkey. Uh, You know, they deny that there ever was an Armenian genocide. And there's a lot of people that seem to seem to want to take that position that there never really was one. But, you know, anyone who looks at the historical record can point to these millions of people who used to be in the population sure. in that region. And so that it is a bit of a documentary that tells the story about how the Armenian population kind of shrunk down to this one area uh, and then were kind of pushed out. But it also tells the story of the making of a film about that. And so there's a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes footage oh, from wow. the movie. So it kind of is just like a queasy marriage mm. of an EPK type bonus material on a DVD and I guess DVD I'm dating myself on a Blu-ray, uh, which is, which is itself becoming a dated idea. Bonus features in iTunes. Yeah. The kind of thing you might watch on YouTube or Vimeo if it's posted. Um, but yeah, maybe on iTunes or whatever that Apple application you use is. Um, and so it just didn't feel enough like a movie. It didn't feel like, it didn't feel like, even though it was a very interesting piece of history that it was telling, it almost feels like they should have made the movie more tangential to their story. What it ended up doing, which was a little strange, was using footage from the movie to dramatize things that they were talking about from the historical record. And so again, it just feels like it's kind of walking the line between this slightly fictionalized account and doing a real documentarian's approach. Now, Joe Berlinger, who directed this, has made some important documentaries. So it was made with a certain amount of skill. And like I said, the information does come across. But for a movie that's almost two hours long, it felt like it could have gone more deeply into the history and and left a little bit less of the film in it. Um, And then, um, well, I have one movie that's definitely my favorite that I saw, but there's one other movie that we both saw. So we'll talk about, yeah, because we'll that's how that. I'll wrap it up too. So yeah. we'll t- rat film we both saw, mm-hmm. John and I together. The one that we saw together. Yeah. It's romantic. Saved my seat when I went out into Where the lobby Where does it take place? It's, it's, it's in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, it takes place oh, in Baltimore. Okay. Which, by the way, Silvio was actually shot in Baltimore yeah, too. Yeah, I saw that. It was? kind of interesting. Yeah. Silvio sounds like Frank. That movie Frank was you know, it's similar Michael in, Fassbender, which I really liked. You know, it's it's similar like but not. It's not quite it. as dark as that. But it does <laughs> it does share a certain there's something kind of you might yeah, after you've seen it, you okay. might agree that mm. it but it's a little bit more upbeat than that one. Okay. Um gotcha. so yeah, Rat Film. Rat Film, which was a documentary or a sort of a experimental experimental documentary. documentary. Uh shot in Baltimore. Sort of a well, about uh, I guess the rat infestation in certain areas, especially in certain areas of Baltimore City, kind of against uh, or set against like some historical information about how uh, <laughs> basically how racist and segre- segregated Baltimore City was and is. Oh, wow. um, there's some, you know, there's 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 a lot of information in the film about it. Oh, there's not okay. like a straight line through it in terms of what the filmmaker who was there, Theo Anthony, was trying to say. Um, there are some really interesting characters in the doc that are like people that work in the city or just people that live in the Baltimore City area. Um, the one gentleman that worked for the, like the rat, what is it called? Rat something? Like it's like the team that basically goes out and like sprays for rats and tries to treat infestations in certain neighborhoods. Oh my God. Um, and he was a really compelling yeah, character. Yeah, he, he, yeah, I mean like he really stands out. You could have just doc. about followed him around and, and had a movie. The other guys they followed were interesting enough for the scenes we saw them in, but when we met them at the Q&A, I, we, but we, the audience saw them at the Q&A, it, yeah. it, it's like the it's integrity of the way the film was shot seemed to be 
a little bit in question. Like, for instance, in the middle of the movie, there's these two guys that they follow who are fishing for rats in an alley. And they've got, like, a fishing pole, and they take, like, turkey and peanut butter and put it on the hook, and they drag it down the alley, and the other guy's got a baseball, baseball bat. bat. And you're watching this, and throughout the movie, it keeps cutting back to them. And it's very humorous to see their scheme and what their plan is, and they're talking about it. And at the Q&A, it became apparent that that guy with the fishing pole, he doesn't do that. He did that in front of the camera. He That was the first time and only time that he ever tried to do that. That's right. Weird. It's very odd. And it's like you felt it's like, like he shouldn't have said that. When you were watching it, it felt like they had documented this weird, quirky bit of that kind of crazy right. local stuff that might happen in a town like Baltimore. Yeah. And after hearing that, it was like, okay, so what else was seemingly shot for the documentary right. that actually was a little bit more staged? Not that that's fully staged, yeah. but it's like, it's different. It'd be like if I said to you, hey, you're entertaining on camera. Let's get you doing something crazy for my documentary. Yeah. Not like, oh, here's a guy who fishes for rats and I met him and now he's in my documentary about rats. So it's, a, it, you know, but given that it's experimental and it's a little bit more stream of consciousness from the filmmaker, you allow it certain things like that. Um, the stuff that Steve was talking about with the segregation in Baltimore, oh, with the way that the city is set up, it goes down the line of like, um, and later in the film, actually, it's a very interesting section of the movie, but it also is is a bit drawn out. And it felt like it maybe lasted a little too long, but they mm. basically overlay certain maps that are broken down by certain demographics with those essential, those economically stratified neighborhoods from the, you know, from uh, over a hundred years ago or whenever mm. it was. And there's so many things like, Life expectancy. Well, the lower ones are in those lower income areas, and the higher ones are in the higher income areas. Um, uh, uh, crime rate, uh, uh, imprisonment rate, all these different maps that overlay, and it tracks yeah, pretty much exactly yeah. with that early segregation. So it's very shocking and yet not too surprising yeah, at the way that kind of segregation, you know, we, we use the phrase institutionalized racism a lot. Yeah. We don't really think about the tangibles. And a city like Baltimore, which I knew had a, a, a fucked up history, yeah. this really lays it bare. Um, my only complaint would be that after a movie that's been zipping around from different little trains of thought, when it ends with essentially like a 10 minute section that shows these maps, I feel like that information might've been integrated into the movie a little bit better. Mm. In some way, I wish it had been more about taking a linear historical progression from that first map that they show us and then the rat problem and then like maybe putting it alongside some of these other historical issues. But I don't think that he, as a filmmaker, was uh, trying, trying to do to something do that, that rigorous. Um, and I'm not dinging him for for not doing what he wasn't trying to do. It's an interesting movie, and I think a lot of people are going to see this movie. There's a lot of interesting stuff in it, like just the idea that it was like base, Rat Poison was just like created at Hopkins. Yeah. You know, just... Oh, and, wow. and, and like how they devised testing in certain socioeconomic neighborhoods yeah. and like Holy seeing sh- how they tested and like how some scientists were like, if you can't bring the science... You can't bring the, the environment to, this, to the lab, you take the lab to the environment mm-hmm. and like... Oh, they had this like farm out in like Frederick or something or, or somewhere out in Western Maryland where they basically like recreate it with rats what the the city of Baltimore, like these segregated areas are like and just had just these rats like living as residents of the city. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Like that yeah. that section of the film is actually really scary and interesting but fucked up. Like yeah, what yeah. that what that experiment was and Sounds what it correlates to with what they were doing with people in the neighborhoods yeah. in Baltimore City at that time. So there is some interesting shit in the movie and and I do agree I think people will see this and this is if it's this is the kind of movie I feel like it's going to have a run at, at Parkway. I mm-hmm. mean I think they will get I this movie. I would love movie. to see that. Um it's it's worth checking out. I yeah. it, like John said I I have you know like I didn't love it. You know I don't right. feel like it was entertaining at points but there's definitely some 
it felt really kind of random and mm. that's the experimental part like people were asking questions about how random some stuff was in the Q&A and like his response to it wasn't really very convincing to me like it just almost uh. seemed like there was he had some motivation for it but it didn't play into the film too much for me yeah but um but still i mean an interesting movie the last movie i wanted to mention is the one that i liked the best from the festival and that was one uh um starring Brett Gelman who mm. i don't know if you know who Brett Gelman yeah. is the comedian uh, he's kind of a, a, a very like risky, very edgy comedian. There's something about him that you know cer- certain comedians kind of scare you. Like, like <laughs> he's scared, yeah. Like there's something, and I don't mean like in a negative way. I just mean their comedy feels like it requires a certain walk in the edge, and that it requires almost a certain disquiet in them to do their comedy. Like, um, you know, he's you done, know who he is, Ronald. You definitely would recognize. Yeah, you him. see him in something. He's done a lot of really great character oh, work. He does like really dark characters. Yes. Yeah. He and, and, this... and he does really bizarre, dark, high-concept comedy, yeah, too. Yeah, he does, he does. Yeah. He did this thing on Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman had this compilation mm-hmm. of shorts. And he did this thing where he sat on a stage, and he has, like, this this uh, altered voice. Mm-hmm. And he's getting sadder and sadder and sadder. It's like, I don't know what I'm mm-hmm. going to do with my life. Yeah. And it just goes on for, like, 15 minutes. He had a it's... podcast that was basically him recording... Unless I'm remembering it wrong, but I feel like he had his voice run through that modulator or whatever. Like there was an episode or two of this oh. podcast where he's just doing this monologue, and it's just a depressing, dark, gross, increasingly despairing monologue. It well, he always like... shows up in other things too and brings a certain crazed edge. I mean, I really, I really like Brett Gelman. So Me anything too. I'm saying okay. that may sound so like I'm not a fan. Him. He was in the support group with uh, Don Draper hmm. in oh, that last shit. episode of Mad Men. He was the guy who tells this really gripping monologue about feeling separate from his own identity and not knowing who he is anymore. When they were outside? W- well, it, there's a scene where they're sitting in a room in, inside doing a group discussion, and it's like early oh, when... Sh- that was when, him? Yeah, when Don goes to this to this yeah, retreat, like, to retreat like, and he hasn't bought into it yet, and, yeah. and Brett Gelman is a guy who gives like a really powerful monologue in oh, that. Oh, cool. So anyway... Um, it, it, I, I don't want to say too much about this movie, but the most interesting things about it are that he co-wrote it with his wife, Janixa Bravo, who is a filmmaker who I, I saw that she's directed a lot of things I don't recognize, but she directed the Juneteenth episode of Atlanta. Oh, oh my wow. God. So she's a pretty good director. It's like my favorite episode. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. and this movie is put together really well. And yeah. seeing her up there, being the director and being married to Brett Gelman and co-writing it with him, <laughs> it just feels like they did something really unique to their relationship but not necessarily based on them in the story brett gelman plays this guy uh who's just sort of a like having a rough time and unlike the normal movie narrative where someone's having a rough time and you sort of see them get shaken out of their malaise and they kind of save their life this is about a guy who just kind of keeps shifting down and so it's a bit of a downer but it does have humor in it Uh, and in the q a brett gelman said something really interesting is he said they wanted to make a movie about a character who was stuck and stays stuck because they thought that reflected life much more than the usual narrative of how this person gets shaken out. So it does have that indie film kind of lowered stakes. You're not going to see someone save the day. You're not going to see someone come up with a brilliant idea. It is about just a one more event after another. Right. But as far as the sort of misanthropic, awkward person type movie, mm. I really feel like this one was delivered really skillfully. I think there's some really great moments of odd, poignant humor and some really great moments of just uncomfortable interpersonal stuff that feels very realistic, uh, and yet it still kind of exists in a little sideways comedy world. So I don't know. I feel like this is the kind of movie, I don't know who is going to necessarily flock to this movie. And what's the name of it? It's called Lemon. 
Lemon. Did, did I not say that before now? Not no. Right. Okay. All of that. And I haven't said the name, but it's called Lemon. And it's, yeah, it's very dark, but I think very funny. And in the weeks since seeing it, I have thought about it quite a bit. <laughs> really? But I do think it adds up to something. At the end, I felt like the final moment is so gross and so pathetic uh, that it really did feel like they were doing something, something that these, these sorts of character studies about a misanthrope, which I think there's a lot of indie films that follow that model. Right, right. This felt a little bit more skillfully done. And if you think about her direction on Atlanta, it has that kind of style and flash and visual beauty to it. Wow. That you don't normally get. I check it out with a you know super small movie. So so those are the movies you got. So actually, I saw one more. It was called Princess Sid. That was the one I mentioned it earlier, just saying it had its, I guess, worldwide debut mm-hmm. at the festival on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, Sucker for the coming of age story. So I mean, that's pretty much the the framework of this movie. Um, it's about a teenager who goes to live with her aunt uh, during like a rough patch of her life, like uh, where her father's having some issues and. Um, basically this relationship between the, the aunt and the niece or, you know, the main teenager girl, uh, kind of, kind of shakes them both up a little bit. Like it kind of puts into perspective of like what matters to each of them, mm-hmm. like where there's maybe judgment from one to the other about like, how could that mean that much to you? Like silly things. Like if you can imagine a teenager looking at like a 40 something year old woman, like, why don't you have sex with anybody? You know, mm-hmm. why are you so into books? And then the, the opposite from that woman to a teenager, like, why are you having sex with so many people? Why don't you like books? Yeah. Mm. You know, just like there's this mismatch of like priorities in life and, and oh, just wow. the idea that like different things matter to different people and like, mm-hmm. you know, not to place judgment on any of that stuff. Really, it really impressed me. Like, I, I didn't really hear too much about it, um, but it was pretty It was pretty cool. And, and, the, and the main girl, Sid, she's kind of going through like this kind of confusion about her sexuality and she kind of meets this character who is kind of uh I don't gender non-binary like she basically is you know neither a boy or a girl oh, wow. it's just they mm-hmm. and she's kind of confused by that and kind of kind of makes her think about herself a little more and mm-hmm. it's interesting cuz it's it just kind of presents this world to her that she's not used to and uh it's a small film it's a pretty short hour and a half really great performances the aunt um Especially the aunt is really great. She kind of she kind of reminded me of uh, what's her name, Amy Brenneman, a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but just uh, definitely recommend it. Great performances. And it the the thing that I loved about it was like that. There's areas of the movie that in any other film I feel like would feel really pretentious. Mm-hmm. Like somebody who is like, uh, you know, she's a writer in the film and she has like these meetings with people where her friends and family and peers come over and they and they, they, they like read literature mm-hmm. you know and that just seems like a scene where in a lot of films would just come off as like super pretentious to mm-hmm. me at least mm-hmm. yeah but there's something about the characters in the movie where like they kind of take the forefront and they, they, they become major characters almost or like lead characters mm-hmm. in those scenes where you just are really are, you're feeling a person you're not like feeling this pretension that i feel like in most other cases you might feel and uh, it kind of makes you buy the people better or, or more for set, yeah, than any other, or than a lot of like major Hollywood movies like that that try to angle into this like pretension a little bit, maybe not pretension. I don't know if it's the right word. Like I don't know. Like the, the the way that she reacts to her niece when she says that she doesn't read books, like this yeah. this reaction that kind of sets this tone of like this world that she lives in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And but even that scene, like I I I hear that and I feel that I'm like oh you know she's gonna be kind of like judgmental and she, you know she's a writer and I guess I have my assumptions about that kind of person, 
but that scene plays out really nicely. Like it's just like this family coming together, you mm-hmm. know, of friends and peers, and they just like are sharing what they really love. Mm. And some people are sharing really inconsequential things, and some people are sharing really heavy poetry or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was a really cool scene. I think it just like it it makes you, that world, this world that they're inhabiting, kind of feel more lived in, and like I just buy it more. Yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And. uh but and there, there's kind of like a backstory about why they're ha- why she's having trouble in her life that I don't know that it really matters too much for, to the narrative. I'm not sure that it really works all the way through the movie and like not to spoil anything, but um, that would be the only thing I I'd probably want to revisit and maybe watch again. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know that it was like essential to like the relationship between these two women. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. Princess Sid, I saw that like I think right after or the night it debuted. At the festival, it got picked up mm-hmm. for, uh, I think it's called like Wolf Releasing or something. It's a smaller, like VOD type thing. Mm-hmm. That's a sit. So but that's, it, that's one that's got okay. distribution in some way. So gotcha. I don't know when that'll be coming out, but that was its world debut. So it'll, it'll probably be some time. So I'm sure it'll do some more festival stuff. But cool. I dug it. I heard good things about that one. Yeah, I think you both would really like it. It's it's, it's, it's solid. Yeah, I'll check it out. I did a little reading up on it after seeing it. Uh, you know, get so much uh, positive word from this uh, this festival. Yeah, and it just it's one of those movies where all the images I've seen from it and all the stuff I've it's, read it's, about it, it really does sound interesting. It, it and it's, really, and it's really well made. It's really mm-hmm. it's really gorgeous, and uh, mm. it's small, but it's really 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 well made movie. And uh, I'm not familiar with the director's prior films but apparently he's been i think he's been to the festival before with some other movies um one of them is like something it's like a guy's name like something something's birthday party mm. um yeah but i don't know i can't remember what I, it's bad i don't know it but gotcha. i don't know it just like i was saying earlier like i kind of feel like some of the programming like some of the types of movies that are coming in there whether it's like a level of quality or just like the story that is missing from some of them for, mm-hmm. I, and this is completely just selfish like i said er- earlier but this was one where I felt like this felt like an independent movie that has a story, that has characters, mm-hmm. that's got a narrative, has a voice. The director is like actually completing an idea, you know, and like that, that's the probably the one movie I saw at the festival that I felt like kind of slides into all those little like check boxes for me in terms gotcha. of those things. And um, yeah, it's definitely way better. It's It also benefits from like me kind of having that mentality of like, I don't know if I'm gonna like anything at the festival this yeah. year. And like I saw that, I was like, "Wow, this is like this is good." Princess Sid. Yeah. C Y D. C Y D. How you spell Sid? So C- I've been trying to think of how to segue from this to the the, the next film we're gonna talk about. Yeah. So many things you said seemed like good segue points. One of the things you said was that it was a small film and a well-made film, and I was thinking like, what's the opposite of a small well-made film? <laughs> I think a big well-made film. But I guess the point here would be we're gonna we're gonna talk about something much larger now. So we're going a little bit of whiplash from these small festival films to this giant uh, opening everywhere, highly mm-hmm. anticipated. Not big, playing at the Charles Theater. Not playing at the Charles Theater. <laughs> not at all. Big budget film. And we're, we're talking about Alien Covenant, which is, I'm sure most people are aware, the sixth film in the Alien series, the second film in the Prometheus series, yeah. and the third film of this series, or both series, directed by Ridley Scott. Right. It's kind of a confusing franchise, the Alien franchise. A little bit. I mean, if you, if you try to track like the different directors, the different styles, the different flavors, and then you go off into the little offshoots. Oh, with, don't even get started on a Predator. I was so. about to say, Alien versus Predator. <laughs> there's games, there's comics. But if we look at like the canonical films, we're talking about the first four films, which are Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, 
and Alien Resurrection, right. each directed by a different director, mm-hmm. each a director that is seen as a visionary, regardless of whether the Alien film they made is seen as their, their best work. Right. I think Alien may be the best thing Ridley Scott has ever made. A case could be made that Aliens is, is the best thing that James Cameron has ever made. It's a weird franchise. It's got a weird prestige to it that when Ridley Scott came back to make Prometheus in 2012, wow, um, th- there was this sense of, okay, the sort of the master, this guy who we know to be this, this high-quality filmmaker, but he's also kind of a journeyman, semi-hackish kind of director who just churns movies out, you know? So there was this big question I had going into Prometheus. Was it going to be just like the greatest thing ever, or was it going to be kind of a, a misfire? And I think you and I agree. I, I really like it. Certain things we really love yeah. about that film, despite its flaws. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not a perfect movie, but it is probably one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen in my life. And it, and it holds up in that in sense. Life. If you yeah. watch it again and again, there's a scale, there's a scope, there's yeah. a wonder to it. I know you're not a fan. Steve, the things that you love about it, I can acknowledge as being really good, and it feels and, like and, a retread. And of... like, I, I there are things that I, I appreciate, and it's mostly like craft, you mm-hmm, know, and yeah. and not so much like the story pieces of it. But I mean, that's my biggest. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not the fan of that film. Yeah. Well, what I like about Prometheus, before we get into Covenant, is that the things I just mentioned, the visuals, the sort yeah. of world building, I like that it's trying to do something different. Me too. I, I sort of like that it didn't seem like it was in a hurry to reestablish the xenomorph, which is, if people aren't aware, that's the sort of official name for the creature we call the alien in the mm-hmm. alien films. And I like that it was it was going off in its own little direction, and it had its own sort of form of some of the similar sort of body horror scares that, that are familiar to the, the fans of the previous films, but it was different. And I think that what Alien Covenant did, in a lot of ways, was throw out a lot of the things that made Prometheus interesting and maybe kind of risky and maybe less beloved by fans of the series and go towards this kind of trying to reinvigorate, trying to get back to this idea of the xenomorph. Yeah. And I don't know... I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I guess I'll throw it to you, Ronald, since you like Prometheus. Going into Alien Covenant, what were your thoughts about it based on, on, you know, being a fan of Prometheus and thinking this could be... What? Did you think this was going to be better? Did you think this was going to be worse? How did well, you feel? I knew that this was going to be a lot more action-packed because the world had been built up on this sort of idea that whatever this agent was that was being combined with things was going to ruin a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that they were going to go for the action right away. The question was, was the action going to be good enough to sustain itself for what two hours or so, mm-hmm. so I guess that's the bigger question, and the answer is I don't I don't fucking know at this point. Like I <laughs> I don't know. Like it 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 maintains a beauty to it. Mm-hmm. It maintains um, a scale, like where you feel like okay, this is affecting a lot of people. This is affecting a lot of things. But I don't know if it feels that different from Prometheus, and and it felt like a setup just like Prometheus. And then the action heightened was a little more heightened than Prometheus. It mm-hmm. didn't feel like it was too different from Prometheus in terms of just structure and. But it throws out all of that like myth building in the it name does. of trying to get closer and closer to yeah, th- right. having the same creature. It which... shortens it very good. It's yes. like all the all the like. You're right. It's like all the world building that... And kind of grandeur and sweep and kind of... It's like, nope. Yeah. Nope. We're we're here. It's going to happen. Yeah. 
don't know, and they just yeah. rattle off. They just start dropping things out of the sky, like one of the scenes that happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. It was... Would you... Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, like, this movie looks beautiful. It has the potential. And I'm wondering, like, because every time I see a trailer for it now, because we're in that week before release where all the trailers are starting to reveal more cool stuff, you know? And I, every trailer I see, every shot looks great. And I'm like, why don't I love this movie? Right. What's wrong I mean, with me all, that I don't love this that's movie? That's all true. Like, it does look great. It and there are great. some really cool things about the movie. But, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know that the movie... I I don't know that the movie knows what it wants to do, like, with the franchise. Yeah. You know, or what it... Like, what it wants... What it wants to be like reading that reading Ridley, Ridley Scott saying that like they're like course correcting some of the feedback from Prometheus mm-hmm. like to kind of marry that with like what people maybe want that they love about the alien part of yeah. Aliens franchise and he's all over the place Steve because yeah, just... in interviews from a few years ago he says <sighs> the xenomorph is cooked he's done we're right, not no using way. him. We're no. not going to make any more movies. We're, you know, I'm doing this other thing. And then when he finally starts making it, it's like, well, actually, we're going to spend the last half of the movie trying to recreate some of the thrills from Alien, but without any of the atmosphere, any of the kind of pacing that made that stuff yeah. so scary. Like I didn't feel scared at no. all by the creature. No. I did think he looked kind of cool in some sh- yeah, yeah. in some shots, but even within that, but it's like it should. It lost I mean... the menace. And the sort of sense of being in a haunted house with this creature, yeah. which I didn't want to see them just repeat that. But if they're so interested in backtracking to the point where they're just leading right up to Alien. We, you know, we were saying after the movie, Steve, that we're afraid that the end of this sort of prequel franchise that Ridley Scott wants to do is going to link right up with Alien to the point where, oh, yeah. like... There's even going to be some little reveal that, oh, the mission that they were on in Alien, it wasn't as random as we thought it was, or something like that. They're right, going to do something right. to fuck up one of the best movies anyone's right. ever made, and I'm worried about that. Like, I was all for this, and I still am sort of all for it if really Scott gets his jollies and I get some good visuals. I'll go see the next one for sure. Yeah. But I don't, like you said, Steve, what story are they telling? Why is it so important that we see every iteration of this creature yeah. up to the creature? Were you ever that interested in the specific origin of the creature? Did, did, didn't you just hear the word alien and say, oh, it's an alien? Yeah. Oh, that's all I need to know. Or did you need to know, well, actually, this was like the fourth yeah. or fifth attempt at a yeah. genetic experiment by an android. That stuff's kind of cool in the sci-fi sense, but I don't know how much it adds to the menace and the fear that you feel in yeah. Alien. And I almost feel like if you watch That's... these movies in chronological order of the story, Alien would, would already be robbed of one of its most memorable moments because something Chess. happens in this movie. Yeah, yeah the chest burster. Yeah. The, the, the immediate thing I can recall walking out of the theater was like, I think what felt so... I don't, I don't want to say that they, 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 they messed it up or mashed it up or did something. Th- this contributes to like the confusion that I'm saying that I felt, like which is like, the, what mm. is it trying to do? Like, why... Is it trying to do this now that mm-hmm. it's kind of going back into the, the xenomorph he- like present stuff? But I felt immediately walking. I was like, right off the bat, when I feel like me, this is I didn't love Prometheus. When I feel that like I'm the one of the least interesting things to me in the movie was like not caring that a xenomorph showed up. Yeah, yeah. like that's a problem. It yeah. is a like, problem because I'm the guy that should be going there, being like, "Fuck yes, they're back into the alien world." Like, there's my face hugger. Mm-hmm. Here's the xenomorphs. But honestly, like none of that paid off for me. Like, no. I didn't. I didn't feel that. I guess I liked the scene, even though it played kind of dumb to me. Like when Crudup is seeing the face hugger pods, mm-hmm. I kind of liked that scene and 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 what it what what David was like saying. That kind of was cool, but. 
You know, supposedly, Steve, the, the monsters in this movie weren't even xenomorphs. Really? I don't even know how to tell the difference. They said yeah. the xenomorph does not appear in this movie. A different variation yeah. called the, what's he called? There's a, it looked there's a protomorph, it did look which is that weird white, the white thing. One? And then the neomorph is the one that's at the end. Yeah. Like but the, what I'm saying okay. is like, if that wasn't a xenomorph, what, what, what yeah. what's the difference? Well, and that—that's the problem. Am I supposed to be it's, counting it's, his toenails or something like, to tell it's like the difference? Building this like classification system yeah. of like, why the fuck do I care? Yeah. I'm the guy that shouldn't care. Right. Like I just, I I didn't love Prometheus for a reason, yeah. and they and they've acknowledged trying to correct some of that with this movie to try to like satisfy all three of us right. in some way. And I don't think any of us were satisfied. Well, you know, what's I, funny is they, the one thing they could have corrected about Prometheus that it seemed like they might be when you saw the casting is I thought maybe we were going to get a really cool bunch of characters. Yeah. yeah. And the characters the are nothing in this film. No, right? they didn't get fleshed Almost out. Almost nothing. And the other thing they could have corrected was the stupid scientist problem that the first one had. Fuck where that. it's like they didn't make it clear this is like a ragtag bunch of incompetent scientists. So therefore, we should think they're good. And therefore, when... The geologist and the biologist show so, they're so stupid in Prometheus. The way they end up going out, yeah. yeah. Like I expected this one to maybe just fix that, but it's like they didn't even really fix that. One of the hugest uh, set pieces in the film is based around a character who's just doing one stupid thing after another, and and incredibly like clumsy, stupid. Like I, I don't know. I I felt like it was a thankless task for most of the actors cast in this film. Um, and then like Danny McBride, you know, maybe he brought a little something to that character, but it's just I not on the page. Him. I thought I'm he was good, but him, I think yeah. that he was good because he's Danny McBride yeah. and he brought something. Yeah, I agree. On the page, I don't think that character had You're right. anything to You're right. it. Yeah. And I even think uh, Catherine Waterson was was like kind of a like again she's fine she's not bad but yeah. there was nothing much to that character and there was especially nothing done to differentiate it from Ripley enough to make me think that okay we had Shaw in Prometheus and we have this character in this one but why not have Shaw carry over from the previous film and be more of a character in this film why not have a character who's different who's like notably different from that model or that archetype sure well um, my overall issue is kind of the issue that I have with George Lucas the idea that you have the tech and because you have the tech, you want to add this world that didn't really have to be added. And then also there's something about a person. Man, I don't know how to, else to say this without sounding like a fucking dickhead. But somebody thinking that they're smarter than they are totally. when it comes yeah. to making a story. Totally. And some of we that talked just, about this after the movie too. Some of that just has to do with like sometimes the intelligence on the story maker is simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes cutting some of the bullshit out and getting to the the things that make it good mm-hmm. and and then some some of that bothers me and then forgetting it's almost like something i run into a lot where um things are summarized in the shittiest way possible it's almost like if you watch something like what's your favorite movie steve et et you watch et and somebody's like you know what i fucking love about that movie the reese's you're like that's not yeah. what makes the movie good it's like it's it's essentially what he's done now that's what I mean by Ridley Scott being all over the place is like every time you hear he him talk about know, it man. he doesn't really sound like he knows what no. makes these movies good and he he, he like almost 
I mean, and I know you weren't a fan of Prometheus, right. but he didn't even have the integrity to finish the story he thought he was starting with that. With he kind that. of is retreating to this, let's throw in the alien, but he's not quite the alien yet, as though we give a shit about, like you said, the classification. Yeah. When a character would die, there would be this, instead of me going, oh no, there's that character that I like who's dying in this horrible way, it felt like the way in those kind of schlocky B-movies when it's like, we're cutting to a scene that only exists because an unnecessary character is about to get killed, a character we don't care about, yeah. we don't know anything about, and they're off by themselves and then the alien you know kills them yeah. and it's like it doesn't it's not scary it's not cool no. it feels like going down the list of characters and saying this person who, who can we kill now who can die now who can die now who can die now it feels so rote and it didn't have like any of the tension or any of that sense of like a cat and mouse game sure. that really would make it creepy like i I, I would say I should end a movie of this sort feeling sorry for so many of the characters. And I honestly can't think of outside of maybe a couple of moments yeah. where I felt that kind of like, ugh, I'm glad that's not me, you know, right. that these movies should be giving you that feeling that yeah, almost yeah. like physical revulsion at the, at the, like I said, the body horror aspects of it and stuff. And it's just not in this movie. There's only two movies that have really <laughs> done the whole introducing a character, having you care for them, having them be destroyed the way that I love them in, in mm -hmm. that sort of setting. That's the thing in Alien. There's something about the group dynamic in those two movies where you're like, oh man, they're likable. So when they die, there's a there's a feeling to like, oh fuck, they that person is dead. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, person yeah. is sad. That character actor is gone from this movie now. Yeah. yeah so there's a there's a void, mm -hmm. and and that person is no longer a, a central part yeah. of the crew. Right. And that was not done well. Like, I don't know what story Ridley Scott thinks he's trying to tell. I know, and I don't man. know what the goal is when they say, now they there was talk of five more movies. Now, yeah, they, now they've taken that down to two. two. Like I said, I'm curious to know where it's going to go, but I'm really not interested in this slow death march to setting up the first Alien film. That's just not that interesting yeah. to me. You know what? There's something, though, about being young and hungry that kind of made me think that maybe the the three Star Wars, mm -hmm. first three Star Wars were kind of haphazard and out of hunger and yeah. like this discovery. There's no template yet. Yeah, there's no template. And I think that there's something about the first Alien that felt like that too. Like this, there's a there's an urgency to create the craziest version of a thing mm -hmm. when you have something to prove that gets lost when you when you have millions of dollars and. That that hunger gets lost, man. Like it's, it's like, that, that that's like when you mentioned George Lucas. Like it's like the conversation we were talking about. Like if you're gonna let somebody shepherd in a whole new batch of these movies, give it like, to somebody else. Right? Give it Maybe. to somebody else. I mean, like, no, it did fucking, seem like I'm Ridley not, Scott's not... back when he made Prometheus. It seemed like, oh, he's back. Let's see what he wants to do. Yeah. But now it kind of seems like now Ridley Scott is just kind of hogging this franchise, and he's gonna maybe keep trying to make another one until he perfects the formula and that's just no way yeah. to treat a franchise that again has like I will say one of the best uh, films and definitely one of the best horror films and sure. and again I, even though I'm not a huge acolyte of Aliens I have to agree it's sort of set the the it is the mold for a, a number of action films that came right. after it. totally right, right, right. Um, so yeah I will say before we before we end this discussion I kind of want to talk about a couple things that I did like about the movie yeah, what about you guys do you, do you have anything that, that I was stood say, out to you the one thing I did like in terms of the story that I thought would have been played out more effectively throughout the course of the film was that this uh, that this group of colonists that were on this ship were all couples mm -hmm. I thought that could have uh I think that that's a really interesting uh, story element to introduce because it really does 
remove a lot of the necess- of of the need to create relationships in a move in a story in yeah, a yeah. movie like you know there's a lot of effort in uh, movies like where there's a crew or there's a bunch of people where you're as a viewer you're starting to draw lines between people of like oh they maybe have something or like right, you know right. so it's interesting this show like and and it and immediately you have an opportunity to buy into like this feeling of like losing somebody mm-hmm. you know it's deeper than just like they're a crew member like that's my wife yeah you know literally on every level or that's my husband yeah or whatever but not not once during the movie did i really feel that i think generally all of the uh michael fassbender stuff is pretty strong like i think that he as the the two androids and the kind of battle of wits between those two characters i almost wanted to see a separate story about these this malevolent android who's doing genetic experiments on a weird planet that he controls. Like I would almost watch that movie without any connection to alien. The alien yeah. world. I think yeah. the the kind of evil intelligence that Michael Fassbender brings to that role yeah. of David the Android is really menacing and was the scariest thing about the movie. And I would argue that at the end of the movie it was apparent to me that really the only thing that truly interests Ridley Scott is the character of David the totally. Android. Totally, yeah. Everything else was sort of window dressing, including the character of Walter, who also played by Michael Fassbender. There's a couple of really great scenes between the two of them that sort of the audience was awkwardly laughing at, but I think were sort of intended to be half funny and half creepy. There was, uh, in Prometheus, there was a lot more. David was watching all the humans and trying to understand why they did the things that they did in the first one. I've, I've rewatched Prometheus yeah. very, really recently. No, so David's would, great in that too. Yeah, he asked a series of questions that had to do with things. So like he looked at a memory of a person, yeah. he heard the person repeat it, and he asked about that thing without that person knowing. And he's also, you can sense in Prometheus that he's disappointed in the answers yeah, he gets he's from very people. Disappointed because it's all that. about like man seeking his creator and being disappointed in yeah. the answers. And David's going through the same arc with humans. Yeah. So when he talks to the guy that he gives the he's like basically asks him how far would he go to save this woman mm-hmm. like how far would he go for his wife mm-hmm. and he's disappointed that he would do so much for one person mm-hmm. as opposed to david who would do something for humanity mm-hmm. and i thought that was so cool and that was something lost in the second one that i thought would be kind of maintained is david's the evil part of it is maintained and how he's like, oh, everybody mm-hmm. must be destroyed. Yeah. But the... It's not quite like that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the motivation, <laughs> the motivations didn't seem quite as strong yeah. in the second. But I did like David. I did like David And I think that I, one of the other things I liked was I, there's the ending, even though it's setting up a movie that I don't really want to see, <laughs> um, I do think there's a kind of nasty kick to the ending, which does feel like a horror movie ending in the sense that the movie is sort of having an evil laugh at you for being invested in the human characters in this film, you know. Um, But I thought that that... So that was kind of interesting, and there was a certain amount of humor to the way that last scene played out. That, again, in a better movie, I would have been exhilarated by... By the the balls to end a movie sure, that way, definitely. but instead, all I thought was, yeah, they're 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 picking they're to be continued. We know there's another one planned, and we know right. that the goal is to take all the fun out of this this creature by the time we're done with one it. One of my biggest pet peeves, beyond or just slightly behind behind bad wigs in films, bad hair in films, <laughs> bad old man is continuity errors. Oh, <laughs> and we were talking about this. I, I don't know if you caught this, and I'm, I tried to find it online. I okay. saw it on a couple of sites about like continuity problems. 
so the, again, this is a spoiler. Yeah. So John's tagged this a spoiler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in the fight where David and Walter are fighting, and like you're not sure who survived. There's a scene where you see uh, Kath, uh what what is her name in the film? Catherine. Oh no, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's bad. Catherine Waterson. Water. Waterson. Waterson's character, where she stabs him in the in the throat. Right, right. Stabs David in the throat. Yeah. With the nail necklace that she made from James Franco's character. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're, you know, when an android Walter comes to save the day and he's like alive, there, there's, there's no stab in his neck. Yeah, which and, leads and like, to the... and like I find myself like looking for it in the movie, and there's like there's a few shots where it's like below him, and you can easily see and, it's and not. That, it's a part of the movie where you know enough to wonder which one of them it is. Right, and, and so you would have seen that sign. You know what I mean? And like, even you... still, like they made it a point to show her stabbing him. Yeah, like this is how you'll know. Yeah. Which one wins? Yeah. Like, yeah. there should have been a reveal to the audience that, that Mark was on his neck or on his chin or whatever yeah. it was. But it was never there. And, like, when you realize who it is and, like, it's not even acknowledged. Because there's... That shit bothers me so much. Like, there's scenes, two scenes. Her wrapping it up, putting it on if something mm-hmm. happens to James Franco's character. Yeah. And then her pulling it off and stabbing him with it. And mm-hmm. you see it. Like, it's not just her defending. You yeah. see... It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a setup. And there's no, like, payoff. That seems like a nice reveal mm-hmm. yeah. to be like, oh, fuck, that's what, look who it is, you know? I didn't hate it, though. That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll probably see it again. Me I, too. I just, but I mean, that's because I'm a sucker for the visuals and the scope of this world. <laughs> and I may come out of it liking it more the second time when my expectations aren't so high. Right. But my general feeling was just disappointment upon seeing it. Like, mm. I felt drained afterwards. And every day since then, I've questioned, like, why did this movie not work for me on such a high level? Is it just because I was I was thinking this was going to, as you said, Steve, bring all these threads of this franchise together yeah. and unify it into something special? Maybe next time. It had some fucked up parts, but I, I, I didn't hate it. Hate would be a very strong word for what I'm feeling, too, because it really is just that... My the biggest crime to me is that a movie that I think should have been incredibly great was just this okay. Was kind of me. Honestly, even like Alien Three and Resurrection, I'd watch over this. To be blunt, I mean, I think there, there's a gonna... lot to take away yeah. because of this craft that really Scott brings to the equation. Yeah, but I can but... get that from Alien. <laughs> All right, you know? that's true. You don't need to see a new movie to have that feeling. I, I appreciate what he right, right, what right. he's able to do. Like I I, I want to see it. I want to see it uh, cultivated. I want to see it broadened i want to see more of other things not just this continual conversation of like well you know it looked good yeah well it looked good and the other thing <laughs> is right. he's coming back with these plans of this saga that connects with the first movie whereas those first four films whatever their flaws may be those the second two three and four um like they still brought in a visionary director sure. who made something very unique and told a complete story and i still think those later two films have memorable moments that oh, stand totally. up to some of the the best moments in the series agreed it just so happens that the first two are exquisitely crafted they're amazing yeah yeah, yeah. it's tall order but keep trying maybe I don't yeah. know. Maybe I don't, maybe one I'll day i'll see guys, the rest of them man i'm not going to lie to you but I, i'm not going to be i'm not going to shit you and say like <laughs> this is disappointing to me like yeah. i i had better hopes for these but. well just think guys if we hang in there with this series and Ridley Scott gets to make the next seven films or whatever he wants to make maybe one day we will finally understand the true origin of the xenomorph oh, I can only hold out hope <laughs> we need to know the thing I've always wanted to know thank you so yeah that's Maryland Film Festival Alien Covenant couldn't be more different uh, but you know reaching out to our entire audience depending what you're into yeah. kind of a loaded episode yeah, yeah. 
Um, Hopefully you hung in there with us. Yeah, so you can find us on the Apple Podcast or whatever podcast app you use on your device. Um, really anything that you get podcasts on these days, you should be able to find us, I think. Mm. Uh, you can visit us at movieshmovie.com, facebook.com slash movieshmovie, or our email address, which is also movieshmovie at gmail.com. If you have any ideas for episodes, let us know. Anything big coming down in the summer season that you want us to talk about, kind of put it on our radar. We'll try to do our best to at least bring it up. Mm. Uh, the next episode, we're going to be going back uh, uh, roughly 100 episodes ago. Mm-hmm. We did a, a sound a soundtrack soundtrack yes. for 1994. So um, on the next episode of Movie Schmovie, we'll be looking at the soundtracks of uh, 1993. Yes, that's right. For be... episode 94, we did 1994. Now for episode 193, we're doing 1993 soundtracks, which means if we keep this up, we'll cover the entire decade of the 90s by the time we record our thousandth episode. Love it. The math <laughs> works out on that. So yeah, that, that's going to be uh, for our committed listeners. Holy shit. Uh, so yeah, that'll be coming out next. So definitely keep an eye out for that, especially if you... Uh, like the films of the early 90s or more so the f- the, the film music songs mm. of the early 90s. There's some definitely some uh, interesting choices to be had. Yes. Um, so that'll come out in a couple weeks. And otherwise, as always, you've made our day. Take care. <laughs>